Looks like we're good to go. Let's do this. From the beginning. And I was shown that um, uh, that Lucifer would return, that the UN and the Vatican were going to be completely behind it, again, under false pretenses. He's going to show up and say, I'm here to save the day, right? Uh, and, okay, fine, you know. Yeah, of course, ahead, you can say whatever you want. But I've always hated censorship. It's the internet. Sometimes, you know, once they get you for your first love bite, well, it depends on how aware you are, right? First of all, as you know, the, uh, the Anunnaki and the Draco are enemies. Second of all, underneath Baghdad was a stargate that was created by the Anunnaki so that they could transfer from the Jupiter to the Earth. Practitioners that you know some are are good and some use their magic for good and to heal and to help and others do use it for evil and you know in some cases you know people really were. This is too much sometimes. From the broken ruins of Babylon. This is End of Days Radio. I am your host, Daniel, broadcasting to you all the way from the beautiful shimmering Emerald City, right here in the heart of the Pacific Northwest. Today's date is Thursday, March 29th, 2018. Today's guest is Old Damnegard. Old Damnegard awarded the Prague Peace Prize, a Lighthouse Award nominee and adopted by the Apache Nation, is an author, international speaker, former journalist, musician, and investigator who has dedicated the last 35-odd years of his life to researching many of the global conspiracies. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Millions of viewers and listeners around the world have taken part of his interviews and presentations his main focus has been to find out the truth about the assassinations of jfk the swedish prime minister olaf palm robert kennedy martin luther king john lennon and lady die plus the terror attacks of 9-11 norway oklahoma city and many many more he has done some 400 to a thousand international interviews with a total of several million views and is now considered a leading expert on false flag operations and is believed to have managed to expose and stop several planned massacres wow 
Ole has appeared as an international speaker in the USA, UK, Germany, the Czech Republic, Belgium, Holland, Denmark, Norway, Estonia, Poland, Gibraltar, Spain, and Sweden. He was chosen to represent the people of Europe when giving a JFK memorial speech in Dealey Plaza, Dallas, Texas, on November 22, 2016, as well as being one of the speakers at the World Peace Day in Gibraltar, 2017. Wow, what a mouthful. We're going to be talking to him in just a few minutes, or just a minute. And of course, I invite you all to stick around after the break, after our interview. There's quite a bit to talk about, a lot of show to do. As you know, we just did a show last night. So there's going to be a lot of great com- content coming down the pipelines from End of Days Radio. And stay tuned because things just keep getting better and better and crazier and crazier as we dive further down this rabbit hole. Daniel, stop talking so fast. <sighs> Okay, that's better. Let's go ahead and dial up our guest. Hello. Hello, hello. Oh, wow, video. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? Doing great. Uh, How are you doing today, Ol? I'm doing good. Welcome to the end of days. Thank you. I would prefer to be the beginning of days instead of the end of days. Yeah, yeah, I would have to definitely agree with that. Um, I suppose the first thing <laughs> I should ask you is how have you been and what have you been up to? What's going on in your world? I've just uh, come back from uh, Indonesia. Uh, I've been on a long uh, trip. I've been on a road and also looked into some very, very interesting things over there. And then I came back here and it's just uh, full on after the Florida attack that I predicted more than two, three months before it happened. And the whole thing with Austin and Great Mills and uh, in Pens- uh, outside Washington. I mean, it's just non nonstop at the moment. This is supremely interesting. May I ask, how did you know the attack was going to happen? The one in in Florida? Yeah. Is that okay? <clears throat> one of the things I've, I've uh, done, or I've spent some 30-odd years trying to learn as much as I can about uh, false flag terror, uh, state-sponsored terrorism is what I'm talking about, uh, and top political assassinations. And one of the things that I found over the years is that uh, uh, for a bizarre, uh, strange reason, the the people and the forces behind these operations, they leave clues, they leave hidden clues after each and every uh, false flag operation. They leave clues about the next upcoming event. Uh, I had no idea about this until 2014, I think it was, when I was a con- when I was contacted by an insider who told me that uh, uh, it's great what you're doing, but you're you're looking in the wrong place. And I said, "What is it that I don't see?" He said, "The hidden clues." And I said, "What hidden clues?" And then he said that uh, due to the way they interpret the law of karma, they had to uh, let us know what they're up to. Otherwise, the way they see it, the way they interpret the law of karma is that the bad karma will be on their shoulders. If they inform us, even in subtle ways, uh, and we do not react, then the bad karma is on our, on our shoulders. And it's our own mistake. It, we, it, you know, we should have known better. So uh, 
this is what they're putting out there. And, and for me, it's like a bizarre way of interpreting this law. But once I started seeing that this is actually what they do, I focused uh, most of my time when something happens to try and find the clues as soon as possible so that I can possibly uh, be part of diffusing uh, an upcoming event. And uh, so far, I believe that I've uh, publicly predicted on international radio about 12 of these operations and uh, diffused at least two on location. So uh, this is what I try to do uh, because it's once you see these hidden clues, once you, it's like almost like learning a, a secret language or a new language where you need to start to understand uh, the way they communicate. It's almost like learning grammar for a new language. You need to learn the basis because in the beginning you just don't see it, but then the more you start understanding how they do it, the easier it is to spot these things. And uh, so when it came to uh, the the Florida one, I can go into some details if you want uh, exactly what it was that, uh, uh, or if you want to go into more general stuff, uh, just let me know. Uh, sure, I'd, I'd love to hear some more details about it, uh, simply because this is just such a hot issue right now in the States. And if you say anything to the contrary of this being what they say it is, you immediately come under attack. So I'd like to hear as much about that as possible. Okay, so um, one thing that is very important to understand is that uh, all of these alleged mass shootings, I say all, I, I would uh, more or less include all of them, uh, and also the alleged terror attacks in Europe and also in countries like uh, Indonesia, the Barlow bombing, Australia, Canada, uh, NATO countries or countries that are connected to NATO in different uh, security agreements and so on. It is uh, a, co a coordinated attack on the Western world carried out by, if I'm correct, uh, NATO forces. It's according to the New World Order. And it's a matter of how to destabilize country by country by country. And different countries, uh, uh, they need to use different tactics. Some countries, they can do it financially, uh, crash their finances. Other countries, they can go in and threaten the leaders of that country and replace them with puppets. Or um, in the U.S., they use mass shootings to get, uh, uh, to, get to the, uh, the weapons of the population. They, need, they want to de-arm, de disarm the population to get rid of the guns because as long as the population have guns, it's a major danger to, to these uh, forces and they're extreme cowards. So uh, that is what they're trying to do. But not only are they using uh, these uh, false flag mass shootings in the US to get rid of the guns, they also try to now, uh, I would suggest, try to get into almost an area of the, the film, The Minority Report, where just by being thinking about maybe possibly making a, committing a crime in the future can get you put in jail or in a mental institution. So this is uh, now what we've seen in many of these operations is that uh, the authorities afterwards that are totally in on the operation, they will say, we had this suspect under surveillance. We ha He was under our radar, but then unfortunately we didn't do anything, even though we suspected that something could happen, and boom, now all of these people are dead. So many times they use the very old Roman te uh, template called problem, reaction, solution. 
the few in power secretly create a problem. Uh, this is normally in the form of a mass shooting, a, a virus scare, a terror attack, uh, a financial crash, something like that. The reason why they create this problem is to get a reaction from the population. And the reaction they want is an absolute outcry of panic, an emotional reaction so that we don't use the brain, so that we don't take a step back, calm down and start viewing and looking at the evidence. They just want us to get into a reaction and just like pure panic so that we will turn towards the people that we elected that we think are there to protect us, not understanding that it's actually them who are creating the problem. And then the uh, the few in power uh, will then say, well, the only way we can solve this horrible problem is by an in comes the solution. And the solution every single time is something we would never ever have accepted had it not been for the problem. Problem, reaction, solution. This one is crucial to understand because they keep repeating it. And also the solution every single time is the same. It's more and more militarized police, more and more surveillance cameras, more and more you having to give your, give up your human rights, your civil rights, uh, you having to pay for, for your own safety with body scanners and body uh, backscatters and all of these things in the airports and stuff, all of it based on fake terror that they uh, are the ones who actually create. So I don't say this lightly because, I mean, I, when I started this, I thought I lived in a world filled with Muslim terrorists that was uh, uh, waking up in the morning just uh, trying to find ways of blowing us up, you know, assembling bombs and, and just thinking about uh, ways to terrorize the Western world. But... Over the years and many years, and I've been traveling uh, to location in more or less all places that these terror attacks, have, alleged terror attacks have happened here in Europe. I've been to the U.S., uh, checked out some there, including Dealey Plaza, where I was one of the speakers at the JFK uh, assassination conference in 2016. And what I found instead of uh, looking for Muslim terrorists, I have not found one single real Muslim terrorist. Not one, but what I have found are over and over and over again the same thing. These operations carried out by intelligence agencies like CIA, Mossad, MI6, uh, together with whatever agency uh, in that country that are cooperating in it, uh, the operations are carried out by mercenaries or people from the Gladio network. People also nowadays, they use a lot of private contractors or it's pure NATO operations where it's all blamed on a lone crazy guy most of the time. The reason why they want him alone is then by law there's no conspiracy and then there's no need uh, to look into it if this individual should die or get suicided on location. So in that case, boom, case closed, no need to look into it. And the reason why they want him crazy is because then there's no need for a motive. If he dies once again on location, then, well, no need to look into this one, folks. Please go home and go back to sleep and we'll carry on our agenda without you understanding what's going on. So uh, I would suggest that there's, there's strong indications that I might be correct in my assessments, because if I've been able to predict uh, 12 of these ones on international radio, 
months before they happen. I mean, one, sometimes one month, sometimes up to three months, sometimes only a few days. But where I've been very precise on location and pointed out exactly where it was going to go down and then it actually happens. I would suggest that there is a possibility that what I'm suggesting could be correct. And I would suggest that what we are seeing, especially when it comes to alleged terror attacks in Western Europe and other countries, is that it's not uh, like state-sponsored terrorism just randomly spread out. It is not. It is going in a circular motion in the exact same NATO countries, in the exact same police districts again and again and again, meaning that they can keep uh, the operations uh, very, in a very controlled area also when it comes to the people involved because they want operation where they can control the whole thing with just a few key people so that uh, even the people involved in these operations due to what is called compartmentalization, not even the people involved in the operation understand the bigger picture. That is crucial for these type of operations. So, um, so basically is, they uh, only know as much as they're allowed to know. That, that is uh, an, on a need-to-know chain. That is what it's called. You can find it in all the textbooks when it comes to secret operations. Compartmentalization and a need-to-know chain a need-to-know basis. And it's very important also for the people who carry these operations out that they do not know because as soon as you know too much, you become a threat. So even the people who are carrying these things out, I've spoken to multiple whistleblowers, uh, people, soldiers of fortune, people that have been part of these operations. They say you do not answer, ask questions. If you start nosing around, you end up dead. So... You just do your job, you get well paid, and you just uh, walk away. You don't, in, you know, don't get involved because that's how you end up dead once again. Being that you're actually so, able to predict some of these events, I can only imagine you must be a little bit of a thorn in their side by now. They must really hate you. I don't hate them, but I don't think I'm very popular. If uh, uh, you know, I, uh, I've spoken a lot to uh, CIA whistleblower Chip Tatum, who who is part of uh, false flag operations uh, uh, during his whole uh, career, especially in the beginning of his career. And he said that it, the timeline they have are very, very tight. And it's uh, there's a lot of operations coordinated, you know, that, so that things and, and are connected to each other, meaning that something that is uh, happening maybe in, let's say, an alleged terror attack in Syria, no, sorry, in Paris, could be connected with a planned attack on Syria, for instance, because it's a matter of getting the population in France and other NATO countries to back up the bombing. They want the sentiment, they want the population to say, yep, go bomb the shit out of these uh, countries where the countries are absolutely innocent. That's the whole thing. But the forces behind these operations need the consent from, from the population to be able to carry it out. So they need to demonize these countries. And that's how they do it with false flag operations and alleged terror attacks. I want to explain that a false flag operation is actually a PSYOP. It is where the attacker is, no, the attacked one is actually the attacker. 
That's the whole point. The attacked one is actually the attacker. It comes from an old naval term when uh, many hundred years ago when uh, Great Britain, uh, Holland, Spain and so on was uh, traveling around with um, big ships in the in the world, just rape and plunder, conquering everything they could uh, lay their hands on. And they had the military power to do it. But sometimes this could cause problems with trading agreements and neighboring relationships and so on with other nations. So what they came up with was the idea, why don't we put uh, the enemy's flag on one of our own ships, then we let our own ship attack ourselves, and then we are suddenly in a position where we need to defend ourselves. And instead of being the bully, the aggressor, we suddenly turn into a victim that is just doing the right thing, trying to defend ourselves, and then invasion, rape, and plunder, and the rest of the world will applaud you. So, so it's a, it is a psyop. And uh, then the pirates took over. They they thought, well, that is a great one, but they turned it around. So they put. Uh, whatever target they were t- targeting, they put that uh, flag on their ship so that it would allow them to get very, very close to the uh, sort of the target before the people on that ship discovered, oh, my God, it's not one of our own. It's the pirates. And that's a sort of a, um, the same type of psyop and a false flag operation. Again, that is why it's called a false flag operation, because it's not the real flag. The real enemy is within. The attacked one is the one that is attacking. So to when you see these things, you have to understand that, uh, oh, there's been another bomb in Paris. Listen to it. The attacked one is the attacker. So what is actually going on? And this is where uh, I, I traveled around for years and years trying to expose these things. Or not really to expose these things. What I try to do is find out the truth. What happened? What actually happened? But what I found repeatedly, it's actually the only thing I found is the same type of operation where it's a false flag operation, a black up, a sigh up where the attacked one is actually the attacker attacking themselves. And the reason being is for problem, reaction, solution. And the solution, like I said, every single time is more and more militarized police, CCTV cameras, body scanners, you name it. And you having to give up your rights and your freedom for your own security because you are under such a threat. If you don't, you will die. That's what they're telling us. If we don't install all of these machines and all of these things that will cost you zillions of dollars, you will die or someone you love will die. But they install them and every time something happens, the CCTV cameras are turned off. All Nothing works. The police is not there. All of these things, even though we've just paid zillions or billions of dollars to get them installed. And then the companies, there's especially one called ICTS, an Israeli company that I have, are in charge of most CCTV cameras in airports, train stations, main cities in Europe, also in the U.S. What happens? The cameras didn't work when they were needed. So wouldn't you fire that button and say, listen, we don't need this crap. We've got to find somebody else that can do the do the thing. But instead... They get promoted and spread more and more and more. Uh, 
so that the next time when we really need them, not working again. And when you start looking that this is sort of more or less every single time, the CCTV cameras turn off is one of the main ingredients in a false flag terror attack. So it should give you a hint saying, okay, once again, meaning I would start suspecting that this company is just one of the players in this whole charade. And what I would suggest also is, like I mentioned before, I believe that what we're seeing is not uh, the whole Western world in mayhem of terror attacks and so on. What we are seeing is almost like a, a rock group on tour, but this rock group is performing terror, not music. It's the same setup. You got the, the main, uh, some main characters that would be interviewed and so on TV. You got crisis actors, the people that are really good uh, lying in the street looking dead or wounded with some ketchup on top. You got handlers like CIA handlers that control the group. You got military advisors. You got pyrotechnics uh, technicians. You got the uh, bomb experts. You got the uh, marketing agencies that comes up with slogans and logos and banners that are prepared for the whole psyop that follows every single time. Yeah, you know, one thing that was really disturbing me personally is turning on a TV show and actually seeing the local news uh, helping advertise this school walkout thing. It's like the media is actually helping to advertise these kids skipping school. It's insane. This is a very good observation you're making here because you will see that the media is a major part of these whole thing. I'm not saying that every single uh, journalist is part of it. Absolutely not. I'm not saying that every single journalist know what's going on. Absolutely not. What I am saying is that 96% of all the media in the U.S. is owned by six owners. It's actually getting to a point where there are fewer. And these different... Uh, owners work together as well. So it's not sort of like very surprising if me- the media is saying the same thing. Mainstream media has been hijacked. It's through the control system in a pyramid shape where the top, the, the individuals in the top are pulling the strings behind closed doors and, and dark veils so that we don't understand what's going on. And the CIA and other, uh, alphabetic agencies, have been bragging for years about how they control all key people in media, all of them, which is like bizarre, but that is where we are. So anyway, when you see one of these things being carried out, uh, one of the main things that they need to control, when I say they, I'm talking about the the people carrying out these operations, but uh, when you go higher up in to see what's going on, it's the so-called elite and the new world order. That is what is being carried out right in front of our faces, I would suggest. And so one of the things that they need to control is the information outlet. That is super important for them because when they carry one of these operations out, they're not focused on convincing people on location. They couldn't give us about the people there, that they're not important. The only thing that is important about people on location is that they stay away. And that is why they have a drill beforehand so that they can close off the area. 
They can get vehicles in position, explosives in positions, crisis actors, cameras, the whole shebang in position. That is during the drill. The drill is key, key, key to understand this. It is also during the drill that a lot of the footage that we then see as uh, being uh, pumped out as live footage is not. It's from the drill. And many of these HD quality photos uh, taken by professional photographers, mostly from Reuters and AP, uh, these uh, quality images are also taken during the drill when the cameramen and, and photographers have plenty of time to get the photos exactly what they want and how they want them and so on, so that they are guaranteed to have these images of pure terror that can then be spread out through international media, because that is what it's aimed at. It is to get it out there and spread it out in the world. That is what they want. So very often when something happens, you will see uh, people being interviewed on location. I can more or less guarantee you that uh, a lot of what is sent out there, the, it, the reporter is in on the operation. The reporter will then interview a witness that is in on the operation. Very important to understand. And then you can see this whole theater being played out. So the reporter will say, so, my God, what did you see? The, the witness will then say, oh, it was horrible. It was horrible. I saw women and children. That's the, what they use for the emotional impact, women and children. Women and children and teenagers, there was blood everywhere. There was gunpowder and heads were lying and blah, 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 to get the reaction. That's the problem, to get the reaction from uh, you, the viewer, in your sofa at home, just saying, oh, my God, blood and kill children and women. How awful is that? That's the reaction they want so that you're emotionally open because that is when they can plant these uh, messages also of their solution. You know what's so funny problem, is reaction. I'm like a hardcore conspiracy guy and I've been aware of this stuff for a long time. But they were even starting to get to me a little bit with all the you know the children and the being killed and not wanting to die. They're actually getting to my emotions. Well, it's just to congratulate them. Maybe they're getting better at it. And but I'm just interested in what actually happened. I'm I'm not interested in proving anything. I'm just interested in what happened, who did it, who benefited, and why was it done, <clears throat> and also what are they up to now. So the problem reaction, and then since nowadays our concentration span is very short due to fluoride in the water and other stuff, they have to deliver the solution fast before you change channels or you get bored or whatever. So the reporter will give you the solution. So very often it would be what happened. Oh my God, that's so awful problem reaction. And then the solution, then reporter would say, my God, with all of this, we really need, and boom, there it comes. Uh, banning the guns, uh, airport security, more CCTV cameras, mental health. Uh, that is where you will see it. So, it's really interesting to see, to watch it being played out. And often also you will see the people that are being interviewed are not real uh, witnesses nor victims. I'm, I'm an old reporter. I've been on wars. I've been in war uh, zones. I've seen people after uh, car crashes, um, train crashes, 
murder, not murders, but I've seen after violent crimes and so on. And people are normally totally shocked, pale, shaking. They can't really speak or they're crying, they're hysterical or whatever. Here, you see the exact opposite. You see very often the individual standing there smiling. You can see they're looking like they're reading from the prompter next to the camera. Uh, you can see there's no emotions going on except for the smiling, which is called duping delight. It's a psychological term that is used uh, for people when they know that they're lying, when they know that they're manipulating you. The body cannot stop smiling for some bizarre reason. Duping delight. And... Uh, that's really so interesting. Duping delight. That's really interesting. So, I mean, as somebody who has studied body language, I've definitely noticed that when people are having like shady thoughts, when they're thinking uh, something with an ill intention towards you, or they feel like they got away with something, maybe they just picked your pocket or they ripped you off or something like that. You can see it on their face. Mm. I'm just saying, I'm just saying facts, you know, body language, micro expressions, uh, these type of things, if you turn, I always turned on the volume and just watches the face of this individual. And that normally gives it away right away. You can see that one. No, I need to very much put a question mark there. This individual possibly, but also if you, if you see people that are being interviewed when something real has happened, they are a mess. If you lost your your child or something horrific like that, they are a mess. They're devastated. They're crushed. Then you see here, after one of these alleged ISIS beheadings or whatever, you see, oh, my daddy, they chopped his head off and it was so awful. And she's smiling. These are the type of things that also are indication that something very strange is going on. But... What I wanted to continue with what I said before was that uh, I believe that this, uh, I call it the global tour of terror, is like a mobile unit, just like, uh, for instance, if you had uh, Pink Floyd, they would be flown on a global tour from place to place to place to place, playing out the exact same concert, the same songs, the same setup, the same everything. Here we have, a, it's like the Rocky Horror Show on tour, being flown, I would suggest, in military planes from NATO base to NATO base, American Air Force base to American Air Force base and so on, where they're being picked up. The reason they use these military bases is because then normal people have no clue what's going on. Often they land in the dark. There's no reports of them coming in or out or whatever. It's totally covert. Then they're being transported in buses uh, on location where these drills are carried out. The drills are announced in media. Uh, beforehand, where tomorrow we're going to have a security drill for your protection. Uh, it's going to be a mass shooting. It's going to be whatever, uh, whatever the scenario is. And then uh, these people will be transported on buses. There will also be white uh, trucks, many times so-called grip trucks that are filled with the film equipment, lighting. Some of them are, you can open them up and they're mobile makeup studios wardrobes, everything needed, uh, makeup, you know, fake blood, all of these things. And they've got access to what is called amputee uh, actors or professionals, people that have been in car accidents with, or have lost a leg or an arm or whatever. They're perfect in these operations because then they can simulate that their arm has been blown off or their leg has been blown off. Perfect crisis actors. 
And nowadays, this is turning to a whole industry where there's multiple uh, companies like Crisis Cast, uh, uh, Amputee Pro, uh, Crisis Cast, CrisisSolutions.com, CrisisActors.org, uh, uh, and so on. The, these are, it's not a secret. It's out there. You can even rent crowds. There's a company called Crowds on Demand in the US. They were, uh, taking part of the Charlottesville attack over there. There's uh, rentacrowd.co.uk where you can rent a crowd. If you're a failed pop musician, well, I want to be popular, rent a crowd, pull them in here, get them screaming. Uh, you have a, a, an, a, movie actor whose career is going up or down or whatever, we want to make a sigh-up, make it look like he's super famous and stuff, get the crowd going there. Or you want a riot, you want uh, a demonstration, uh, anti-abortion uh, riot, whatever you want, just rent a crowd and get them going. And you can read on their websites, uh, Crowds on Demand or rentacrowd.co.uk, you can see exactly what it is they carry out for you. And they say, they brag on their website, we have been active in multiple locations in the U.S. and the rest of the world many, many times. Have you ever heard of them? I don't think so. So they do these things and we don't understand what's going on. You know what it does you can remind even me of quite a bit? You can even rent mourners for funerals, people that are good at crying. Rentamourner.co.uk what, what it reminds me of quite a bit, um, this might sound strange to a lot of people out there, but it reminds me a lot of pro wrestling and how they'll actually manipulate the audience and get them to react in a certain way. Could you say again, it reminds you of what? Uh, pro wrestling, like big time wrestling with Hulk Hogan and Vin Vince McMahon, WWF, WWE. It is. Do you know, like when, when I've been, I've been traveling around many countries giving lectures about these things, trying also to expose the templates that are being used and the methods as far as I've been able to understand them. And one day there was, a, <clears throat> I was in Sweden and one guy in the, in the audience came up afterwards and he said, I'm an illusionist. I'm a magician. And what you're describing with these false flags, that is exactly how I work on stage. He said it's exactly the same thing, how you divert the attention away from uh, what is actually going on. And then you carry the whole thing out by manipulating the audience into doing or thinking or seeing what you want them to see. He said it's identical. And I said, well, I had no idea. But this is how they do it. They got massive funding behind these things. And they got experts on all different types of levels in different areas that are aimed at manipulating you and me. Yeah, that's that's incredibly fascinating. I, I suppose uh, one figure that's most well-known for being uh, uh, probably the most manipulative person any of us can think of would be Adolf Hitler. Yeah, and then again, I have to say that uh, what what is going on is that I'm on learning on a daily basis things that I thought I knew I'm just finding out that the more I really dig after the truth in different areas, I just felt, oh, my God, they tricked me here as well. I've been manipulated here as well. I've been pumped with fake uh, evidence, things that was not that were not true. And, <clears throat> and one of the things with wars and the, world, the history that follows, 
is that the ones that are printing the history books are the ones that won the war. Doesn't matter if they did it on uh, by betraying other people or, or deceiving or mass murder, whatever. The the history books that would be written afterwards will uh, make them look out as the good guys and the heroes that were fighting the evil. But very often when you look into this whole thing, a whole different picture uh, appears. And uh, dear old uh, Mr. Adolf Schickelgruber, as his real name was before he took his mother's name, Hitler, it seems like there's a lot of the things in modern history books that are just not true. So um, <laughs> that is one, one name that uh, you should avoid uh, <laughs> because it really stirs the emotion. But I tell you, there's so many things that we have been told that is not, it's just not true. I've been on location on many different uh, places uh, where the Second World War, the big fights were, were carried out and uh, the battlefields and the graves. And you go there and it's just like, it, it's not, it doesn't match up. This is just not right, you know. And uh, so once you start looking into that, another one that you absolutely should avoid is the Holocaust. So I'm not going to go in there except for saying that I did an interview some years ago called Making Critical Thinking Illegal uh, with Red Eyes Creations. It's a two-hour interview. And in that, I just go through step by step by step the numbers, the methods, the locations, and you will see, oh, my God, it is just not true. So since uh, I'm very happy to avoid that uh, topic, and carry on because if you start talking about that thing, they will start putting you in jail. They've already started in Germany. Uh, there are different laws uh, in France and and other countries where people you you breathe about this thing and you're put away, being put away. And I say, what has the truth to fear? You know, what is what is there to to be be? Why would you be jailed? If the truth is the truth, there's nothing to hide. But here, if there is something to hide, that is the behavior of a criminal mind that just wants to shut you up and not get to the real truth or whatever it is. I say, I love the truth. I'm absolutely fascinated by the truth because it stands on its own. It fears no investigation and it's just there pure and wonderful. It's just sometimes very hard to find it because it's so covered up with lies and conspiracies and other really ugly stuff. But the truth itself, fear no investigation. So I say transparency, transparency, whatever happened, happened. Let's bring it out there. And what is there to fear? If you say that is the truth, then what are you fearing? One thing that I really wanted to ask you about, something that I've been curious about for a long time, um, there's a lot of racial tension in this country, and I, I have read that the assassination of Martin Luther King may have actually been an assassination perpetrated by, oh, I don't know, the FBI, the Illuminati, I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? On Martin Luther King? I know a lot about what happened there. I'd, I'd love to I'll hear tell you, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Sorry? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I just uh, said I'd love to hear anything that you know about that. 
Okay, it was a total inside job. Uh, Jake Hoover was very strong involved, strongly involved with Clyde Tolson, his uh, partner in life, and also the the sort of the C deputy uh, chief of uh, FBI was involved with it. The Memphis police was involved, uh, uh, and and different. Uh, <clears throat> uh, government forces i mean he was a major threat the thing was what martin luther king did was it was not only that he united uh, the black population that was one thing but when when he started going bigger and started involving poor people whatever nation whatever race whatever it didn't matter poor people it was the poor poorest people poor people's march uh, and also all the different minorities in on the one, also so that the white poor people came in as well and then aimed it towards Washington with the Mil- Million Man March. And so they were freaking out. Also, it was at a point in history where uh, Robert Kennedy was running for president. And had he lived, I tell you, Martin Luther King would have been vice president. The chances are very, very strong because it was these two individuals that stood up. Because what happened was first they they killed JFK in Dealey Plaza, 63. That totally shocked the world. And the reason why they carried that out in open daylight was to send a message to everyone that you don't need to know who we are, but we can take out anyone, anywhere, at any time. So you better back off and shut up, you know, get in line and just take it, you know. So after JFK happened, there was this like a few years of absolute shock. Then they hit Malcolm X as well. Few years, everybody was shaking stuff, but Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy, especially Robert Kennedy, started waking up. Martin Luther King had been, had been going very strong all the time, and then in '68, the, it, it just came to a point where the the dark forces decided we're going to take them out. But they tried to warn Robert Kennedy by killing Martin Luther King. They took him out first. Robert Kennedy continued, and one month later, a few days more than a month. Uh, they took out Robert Kennedy as well at the Ambassador Hotel in uh, Los Angeles. Same forces, exact same forces, the exact same force that was behind the JFK assassination. Some of the killers that were in Dealey Plaza were also taking part of the Robert Kennedy assassination. David Morales was one of them. Uh, And uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, they took out Martin Luther King as well. But it was a lot bigger than we've been told. And he was not killed by uh, a one single shooter. James Earl Ray, absolutely, totally innocent. He was the patsy. The patsy is there to take the fall for it. The, an innocent guy that takes the fall, gets killed, takes the blame. That's his role. And James Earl Ray was being set up by uh, J. Edgar Hoover, the chief of the FBI, and other forces. Uh, the local mafia was involved as well. They even uh, opened the jail doors to let him out so that they could prepare him for almost a year before the assassination and get uh, evidence pointing towards him and so on. But it failed that day. The whole thing was that there were multiple shooters on location uh, there was, as far as I know, there were four shooters and two shots were fired. What people 
this is uh, not many people are aware of that. Most people think that there was one shot and it hit him right here in uh, uh, in the jaw on the on the right hand side and went down on the inside of the back down uh, and the bullet uh, stopped inside uh, the shoulder blade. And people think that he died there on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel, but he actually didn't. He was taken in an ambulance and driven to St. Joseph's Hospital in Memphis, where a doctor that was part of the whole uh, assassination uh, hit team, sort of, uh, his name was Breen Blend. He uh, had said before the assassination that whatever happens, just bring him to my hospital and I will see to it that he doesn't leave uh, alive. And people in the emergency room, when when King was brought in, he was still breathing, even though he was very seriously uh, wounded. Uh, he took a pillow and just put over his face and snuffed him. That's where he died. But there were multiples. There were two shots. There was one here in, in the face and there was another one in uh, the chest, which is most people are not aware of that. But one witness that was very uh, close to him, Reverend Samuel Billy uh, Kyles, uh, who was also part of setting him up. There were there were people in uh, near Martin Luther King that were part of setting him up for the shooting because they needed him out on the balcony, out in the open, so that it could be a clean shot. One of them were Reverend Samuel Billy Kyles. The other one, very sorry to say, Jesse Jackson. Uh, was part of setting him up there. And uh, the the shot that was uh, fired in the face, I interviewed uh, uh, one of the most famous uh, uh, pathologists in the U.S., Cyril Wecht, who has, uh, he's one of the guys that you, always, you see him in all the JFK uh, documentaries and so on, where he talks about the magic bullet. And he's very, very well respected, has a very high... Uh, professional level internationally and so on. I interviewed him and I showed him the photo of Martin Luther King's face, uh, or it's actually a drawing because they, they, for some reason, I think to, to be able to manipulate it easier, they turned these uh, autopsy photos into drawings. And you cannot see his uh, facial structure. You can just see uh, the entrance wound and uh, the damages to his neck and so on from this wound. So I asked Cyril Wicht, I got it recorded, I asked him without him knowing who it was. Now, officially, King was shot uh, from, with a rifle from the boarding house on about 150 yards, something like that, on the other side of the parking lot, quite a long distance. So if the official story is correct, he would have been hit by a rifle shot fired more than 100 yards away. So I asked Cyril, please look at the entrance wound or the angle, everything, and, and tell me, what do you see? And Cyril, who did not know who it was, he said, it's a, an entry wound uh, with a, a heavy caliber gun, po point blank, almost uh, uh, touching, the barrel must have almost touched his face, when the shot was fired in a downward angle uh, like this, going down through the neck. And he said that the, the damages to the neck, there's like big open wound. And he said that is because when a bullet enters, 
the the gases from the the weapon that comes and follows the bullet uh, just makes it blow up like a balloon and then sometimes you have these damages where it just opens up like this it looks horrible uh, so i said are you sure that it's a point blank on close range heavy caliber he said most probably a handgun he said yes and he said and and so who is it and i said it's martin luther king I tell you, the silence that followed for like 10 seconds, he, it freaked him out because he just felt, oh, my God, I've just dug my own grave here. So how is that possible with a point blank uh, gun wound like that since he was killed from a distance? Now, if you listen to the, uh, the testimonials of Samuel Billy Kyles, he said, that when when King went down, there was a massive hole, uh, lots of blood coming from his face, but also from his chest. That he describes it in great detail that there was a massive big crater in his chest. And one of the first things they did was to run in and get a blanket. There was next, if you look on on the Lorraine Motel up on the on the balcony there, there's a little. Uh, like a cart thing, a little wagon with where you got like uh, uh, blankets and uh, and sheets and so on. The reason for that is very mysterious because at that time it was uh, just one minute past six in the evening. They don't change sheets. They don't come with new blankets or anything. Why was it there? Because it's right next to to King, and I would suggest it was there to cover up the wounds because they didn't know how many bullet holes, because there was four different uh, shooters placed in uh, at the fire station, on the rooftop, uh, it, at the boarding house, and in the bushes. They, these were these four locations. So they, would not, they couldn't know beforehand how many bullet holes will be there, and, and are people going to come running or whatever. So uh, as soon as these shots were fired, Samuel Billy Kyle's, covered the body with one of these blankets, according to himself. And then you can see Jesse Jackson run and get a towel and put on his face. I mean, why do you do a thing like that? He's lying there dying. What does it matter if you put a blanket, oh, sorry, a white uh, uh, towel on, on his face? It, it was there to cover up so that we wouldn't be able to see what was going on. Did uh... And then... Was Sorry? this was part of this done? Uh, perhaps, perhaps uh, some of his close allies took part of this because they were compromised, and they the the uh, Illuminati or whoever uh, perhaps they wanted to use them in the future to create more racial division. Who are we talking about? Uh, the people involved in the assassination? Yeah, anybody close to King that might have actually been compromised or been involved. If you look at Jesse Jackson, he built his whole career on being close to to uh, Martin Luther King when he was killed. He even came afterwards uh, and met up with the press with blood on his shirt, but never ever did he come that close when King was there. So there's been a lot of questions about how did you get the blood there? But the whole thing is that according to key witnesses, there was somebody <clears throat> who arranged for King to change rooms from the f- uh, ground floor up to the first floor. Uh, and that one, according to these witnesses, was Jesse Jackson, who called the motel and said, please 
you need to move King up to room 306. And the reason for that was that where he was first, it was down on the ground level to into the left in the corner and where they parked a car before uh, in front of it. So he was quite covered, you know, because every it was a very turbulent time at that time. There was a lot of uh, fighting going on, demonstrations, almost civil war in the U.S., so he was a targeted individual, and normally he always had protection. This time, all the protection was being pulled away. The police cars were being pulled away, I think, three or five blocks away. Everything was just being cleared around him, and then they put him on the first floor to get him up there so that there could be a free angle, a free shot. And Samuel Billy Kyles, he even had this Freudian slip once you can find it. I've got it on my website and so on. You, he's he, because he's bragging about the story. He's, he told it a hundred times how he was standing next to King. He did like this. We were standing side by side. And then I took two steps to the side and then I heard the shots rang out, but no, he wasn't there when it happened. Nobody else saw him. He was down on the ground floor. But what he said when he described it uh, one time and he was super criticized afterwards was, and he said, and then I stepped, uh, stepped away so that they could get a clear shot. His words, then I stepped away so they could get a clear shot. His words, once again, Freudian so, slip. Um, say again, please. So it sounds like some kind of Freudian slip on his part. Totally, totally. He had no idea. I mean, how stupid can you be to say a thing like that? It's a Freudian slip, but this is the wonderful thing with the human mind. We want to say the truth. We, we are having problems with lies. You know, if you speak the truth, you don't have to have any memory at all. You just know, no, I didn't say that because, you know, I would never say that. But if you if you cover things up with lies, you all the time have to know. Oh, at that point I said that. At that point I said something else. It's a whole. It's, I don't envy liars because they have busy minds just trying to keep everything in order. You know, it's a mess in there. And this guy, he he had a massive ego as well. Uh, you know, because he made his whole career on that as well. He was there with Dalai Lama. Uh, Bush Jr., he was, uh, you know, like everybody was, oh, you spent the last hour with Martin Luther King. No, he did not. He did not. Uh, but that is the, his story. But that's absolutely not true. And also they used him because they needed to coordinate the attack where uh, because you can't have like sh shooters hit team. <clears throat> I mean, now we're talking professional snipers. You can't have them lie there a whole day. They lose concentration and so on. So you need to set a time. At this time, it's a go. Okay, so what they did was that the, um, Samuel Billy Kyles invited uh, King uh, to, to dinner in his home, and they made very sure they stopped a waitress from serving King any food during the day so that he would be hungry. That was essential, crucial. They needed him hungry. So they set uh, the time for five o'clock in the, in the afternoon for dinner. But King was famous for being late. And so it got delayed and delayed and delayed. And in the end, they had to send Samuel Billy Kyles up and knock on the door and saying, please come, 
there's a barbecue in my home, please come. And that's when King decided to come because he didn't really know if he was going to go anyway and stepped out on the balcony. And the last one that he spoke to was Jesse Jackson that got him out and got him into a, uh, a conversation so that he was standing still on the balcony. That was when there was green light and boom, at least two shots were fired, but there were four shooters. Then the whole thing with, with James Earl Ray, it's a, on a whole new level that most people are not aware of. And if you're interested, I can go into that as well. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, so J James Earl Ray was being set up. That was the whole point. He was going to be killed on location so that it would be case closed. Thank you and goodbye. That is standard operation. That's how they want it. You know, uh, compact, easygoing, smooth operation and a dead patsy. So the whole package is there to be delivered. And the idea was that they prepared a bag with uh, all kinds of incredibly bad evidence like uh, bobby pins, uh, uh, beer cans with his fingerprints on, I mean, clothes that didn't fit him, and also the rifle that is said to have been uh, the murder weapon, that in a box that didn't fit and so on. But uh, it was a, a rifle that he had bought. They even made James Earl Ray go back to the to the gun shop where he bought it and change it so that the people in the shop would know for sure they would remember him. You know, so that's how you're being set up. And at this point, James Earl Ray had a Mustang, a light yellow uh, Mustang 1966 a, a muscle car in those days. This was 68, so it was an, almost a brand new Mustang. But <clears throat> what they did was uh, they they hired another guy, a hillbilly guy, uh, who was a shooter as well. And the idea was that they would get James L. Ray uh, to uh, come to the boarding house and then go into Jim's Grill, which is right underneath the, the boarding house, which is also where the murder was being planned. Uh, where the owner of the grill is one of the people uh, involved in the whole assassination and <clears throat> uh, also where the gun was delivered right after the shooting, the gun from the bushes. There was uh, two Memphis police officers that was involved on that uh, level and one of them were the shooters and they, they threw the gun into uh, the owner of, of Jim's grill and he then uh, took care of it and hid it. But that was only... Uh, one of the weapons there. Then the two police officers ran off and were picked up in a Dallas police car and, and drove off. But the idea was that since this happened around Jim's grill, they wanted James L. Ray to go in there. And then when he came out, he, they wanted him to get shot in the door in, as soon as he left the building. So they positioned a guy on the other side of the street with a rifle. Uh, it was caliber 45 because they also had a police officer uh, on standby with a 45 as well, just to make sure they always have multiple shooters so, so that they can make sure that the individual gets killed and they had the same caliber in both weapons so that there would be no confusion. It was caliber 45. It was the police officer that shot him. So the rifle guy was only there to make sure that he died. But uh, they also had three different Mustangs, uh, two white ones, and then James Earl Ray's white one or the light yellow one and 
But the whole thing was that uh, uh, these different parts of the operation were not aware of each other. Like the rifle guy that was going to take James Earl, James Earl Ray out was not aware of the hit on King. And they didn't know about this one. That is compartmentalization. That is how they do it. And this very famous individual called Raul, uh, that uh, James Earl Ray spoke about for many years, about the, being the, the guy he worked for and the guy who set him up and so on. He was the guy that really tried to set uh, Raul no, so set him up. So what they did was they, they got, they said to James Earl Ray, we're going to have a meeting here. You wait outside. And then as far as I remember, on a specific uh, time at six o'clock or something like that, he should go into Jim's grill. But when that happened, James Earl Ray, who was not a very brave individual and a very lousy criminal as well, he failed with everything he tried. He was like feeling very nervous because the shooter on the other side, he has uh, t uh, told the King family that the James Earl Ray started walking uh, around. He's, he started walking towards the boarding house, turned around. He started walking towards Jim's grill, turned around. And then suddenly he got into the car and took off, which was absolute surprise because they were like, what are we going to do? And at, as soon as he took off, Raul came running down because at that time the shot had been fired. The shots that killed uh, or wounded King had been fired. Then Raul came running out. And what he, he, the part, the thing was that he was going to stuff these things in uh, James Earl Ray's Mustang that would just totally nail him as the killer. At the same time, James Earl Ray would have been shot on the pavement next to the car uh, by the shooter and, or the police or both of them. And so it would be case closed. But here instead, because James Earl Ray got second thoughts, he took off and messed the whole thing up. So this whole hunt for James Earl Ray was not planned at all. It, it just turned into a massive big fiasco that they in the end pulled together and then sentenced him uh, to forever and ever. And he died in prison uh, due to a kidney that gave up, a liver, sorry. sorry. But this is sort of uh, the general idea behind it. Uh, yeah, this is incredibly fascinating. Do these assassination techniques, do they go back pretty far back to like ancient times? I think much, a lot of what we're seeing today is old Roman tactics. But the good news is that they are very few, as far as I know, very few. They're the problem, reaction, solution, Hegelian dialectic, it's called. Uh, that's one, a major one. Another one is diversion. You know, don't look here, look over here. Bam, bam, bam. There, there, there. And then divide and conquer. How to divide us, pointing at each other, blamingly saying, it's him, it's him, it's him. That's how they do it as well. Divide and conquer so that we do not stand, you know, stop and say, hang on. Before I'm going to hate my neighbor just because you say it, I'm going to have a look around and see what's actually going on. Because the, the people in, behind these operations are extremely afraid of us discovering how few they are, how weak they are, and how totally without talent most of them are. <clears throat> the individuals in these power structures that are up in the top, I mean, they when you look at it, they're involved in so many horrendous things like 
pedophile, uh, satanic rituals, assassinations, wars on innocent countries, mass murder on innocent. What type of individual would do a thing like that? What type of individual would would do would rape a child? I mean, <coughs> what are we looking at? The the thing that the, that they're good at is backstabbing, <coughs> deceiving, manipulating, and sort of. But that's about it. <coughs> I'm sorry. What about? So, it's funny that you bring that up because I, I am curious about that whole Pizzagate thing. Was that possibly um, – was it real or was it something they threw out there to kind of distract and confuse us all? <coughs> Unfortunately, it's <coughs> – I'm sorry. Pizzagate is scratching on the surface. There has been for many generations – Many, I don't know how long back it goes, but the people, the few in power, for some bizarre reason, they, they get a buzz out of destroying individuals, of raping kids, of um, these satanic rituals, awful, awful, awful stuff. <clears throat> and Pizzagate is the, I would say, uh, the U.S. part of the whole thing where you scratch on the surface. Jimmy Savile is scratching on the surface in the U.K. You have in England, one of the key centers in Europe is Brussels in Belgium. Horrific. They've even got castles there where they meet and do all kinds of horrific stuff. And <clears throat> so... This is why one of the reasons they, they are terrified of us digging into these things, because if we start unraveling one place, it will lead to all the other ones. And it's not only about pedophile thing. It's about the oil, guns, drugs, organ trafficking, <clears throat> sex trafficking, minerals, uh, all kinds of horrific stuff. And, one of the reasons also they use this and it's become more and more important for them with this pedophile abuse and so on is because they want to be able to control people. And just 20, 30, 40 years ago, it was enough if you had an affair. If they knew that you had an affair, <clears throat> they could just get you by the balls and saying, if you don't do what we tell you to, we're going to expose you. At those in those times as well, if you were gay, that would sort of like be horrific and they could grab you by the balls and control you then. But now it's like, oh, this politician is gay. Well, good for him. You know, good luck and on your way. And the same thing with a, with a, um, a affair with a prostitute. I mean, it doesn't matter. Any people don't care. But the only thing that is left more or less on the pedophile thing. If it's anything with kids, that is the absolute taboo area and that is where they can control you. So they try to lure people into these <clears throat> situations where they invite you into their brotherhoods and say, 
you know, now you're one of us, come, we'll bring you, I will take you to some incredible parties. We got prostitutes, whatever you want, do drugs, anything you want, come and play with us, you know, now you're one of us. And most people who have, who don't have a very strong personality and, and backbone would, you know, say okay and just follow along. Maybe they would be very tempted as well. What they do not know is that whatever they do at these parties are being filmed and uh, collected, written down. Anything you say or do will be used against you. You can know that for sure. And what I've heard from people who have been at these places is that maybe they were on drugs or something like that and they were totally in the whole thing, you know, two prostitutes at the same time. And then suddenly there's a child there as well or male prostitute or whatever. And then in this whole thing, suddenly they've done something and it's on tape and there, boom, they're lost. They are in the grip of these uh, dark forces. So they want to con corrupt individuals. And it's <clears throat> these corrupt individuals that then raise up in uh, the careers, just go straight up. If you're loyal to the cause, whoop, you get up there. If you got any kind of backbone, you don't get anywhere. You know, if you're honest and decent, you will come to a certain level and you will stay there. Soon as you're corrupt, boom, and you accept it and give in, you will be fed and, you know, with everything you want. And so as long as you do as they tell you to, because you, you sign your soul over to the devil, literally more or less. And from then on, your life will be in shark waters because you do not know who you can trust. And if they don't, if they can't use you anymore, they will get rid of you like garbage. They will destroy you if you don't uh, fulfill their need anymore. And in your opinion, what could possibly be at the top of this pyramid? Uh, could it be Satan, a.k.a. <clears throat> Lucifer, perhaps at the very top overseeing all of this? I don't know. You, you tell me. I have no idea. I'm... I focused on the on a street level. I try to expose assassins, uh, people that carry out these horrific uh, terror attacks, uh, force-like operation, black ops. I try to be there because I feel that's where I can make a difference. On the bigger picture, I don't know. I, I know in the power pyramid and the global power pyramid up onto a level where the Bilderberg Group is, the Trilateral Commission, the Council on Foreign Relations, Skull and Bones, Club of Rome, Committee of 300, these type of organizations. I know for sure that they're in, but they're absolutely not the top. Neither are people like Obama or, or so on. They are down there as well. The real players, whoever they are, whatever they are, are further up and I normally don't go there because uh, I don't want to speculate. I could say the Illuminati, aliens, the Jesuits, the Vatican, um, intelli artificial intelligence, Satan, Lucifer, the Illuminati. I don't know. I don't know. So I prefer not to say anything because I don't. But what I do know is that the deeds are being carried out in front of us. So whoever is behind it, we need to step up and stop it you know we need to face this problem and i used the weapon i use is the truth 
the the best I can do is to aim the light in the dark. And <clears throat> that is also why my website is called Light on Conspiracies. I try to aim the light into the darkest of the dark in the belly of the beast and try to get out uh, alive on the other side so that I can report what is going on. Because these dark forces, it's very important to understand. If what I believe is true, then in this universe that is built on frequencies, you have the highest of the high is what we call love, the love frequency, which is even higher than the frequency of thought. The lowest of the low is pure terror. So you got love and fear, the two extreme opponents in this frequency, or the two most extreme uh, poles on in this universe. But what happened is that if you, in a laboratory, if you take one high frequency and long, one low frequency and you let them meet in a laboratory, what happens is it's not that they start fighting and they come out sort of like in the middle. The lower one gets annulled. It just disappears when it's, when it meets, when it gets in contact with a higher frequency, it just disappears. It dissolves. Just like if you go into a dark room and you switch on the light, the darkness just disappears. It's not fighting. The shadows are not fighting, saying, I'm not leaving. I am staying. It just, boom, it's gone. And I would suggest that it's the same with the with what we call truth, what we call love, uh, not love as lust, I fancy you, baby. That's not the type of love I'm talking about. I'm talking about the power, the power of love uh, that can make a mother lift a car from his ba- from her baby or, or make a father just run straight into a, a house on fire to get his family and kids out. That type of incredible power that comes in these situations, that power, the power of love. So I would say whatever the problem is, just like Jesus said, not that I'm religious, but I think he was sort of like a super hacker understanding this universe. He and, and other uh, hackers like Buddha and uh, and so on, they sort of understood that, wow, hang on a way. If this is true, that a lower frequency just annuls if you meet it with a higher one. Then, whatever the problem is, meet it with love. Not wussy-wuss love, but the power of love. The power of love. And I think what Jesus said, well, why are you at it? Whatever problem, meet it with love. You can meet it on a lower level, you can meet it on a higher level. And that is the way to deal with it. So I try to detach emotionally from these things and just absolute fearless exposure of these dark forces. Just aim the light of truth at them. And just like cockroaches, they disappear so far. Very well said. 
unfortunately, we are finally reaching the end of the interview. And I, first of all, I wanted to really thank you all for joining me on End of Days Radio. I had a fantastic time. So very interesting. But before we close, I wanted to just open things up for you one more time. If you'd like to get on the soapbox one more time and say whatever you'd like to say to my audience out there, please do so. And also, please follow that up with anything at all that you would like to promote or plug. Okay, that's very kind of you. I would very much like to um, to read some lyrics that I wrote uh, many, many years ago. It was uh, uh, in the mid-90s, but I think they're still very, uh, very important. They're still up to date. Uh, before that, though, I would like to say that my website is lightonconspiracies.com, and I've got... Um, I'm a one-man band uh, with a small little team that is uh, doing everything to assist me <coughs> in trying to get this whole thing out uh, and solve it the best possible way. So anyone who believes in what I'm doing, please uh, consider Patreon. Uh, I've got newsletters. I've got membership areas. I've got uh, multiple books on Amazon and also on my uh, website. Uh, I use my Facebook as a hub, almost like um, headquarters, where uh, during these drills that are always there before a false flag takes place, I have sort of like a, a, a team from all over the world that keeps sending me information about upcoming drills so that we, by putting it out before these drills go down, maybe there's a possibility to stop them, to defuse them before they actually happen. So... Um, let me just see if I can find these lyrics because I truly be believe that uh, even though uh, they were written so many years ago, they really tell you what's going on here. So let me go here. <clears throat> it's called From Prison to Paradise and it goes like this. Once upon a time in a place not far from here, there was so much loneliness, despair and oh so much fear. Darkness ruled all over the land. There were lightning in the sky, causing wars and separation with no one knowing why. These evil times raised leaders disguised as kind and true, hiding the truth in misty fog so only very few people knew, controlled by an elite few, manipulating you and me, closing out the light and power that can make us all be free. Wake up, wake up, we gotta wake up. Wake up, wake up, we gotta wake up now. Forced by invisible powers, demanded to conform into shapes unknown to mankind, making him totally abnormal. Drowned in deaths and sorrows, blaming others for their lot, made man believe to be inferior, feeling tiny like a dot. But then came times of change covering countries and their towns. Few became many and soon the prison walls came down. Starting with the men in the mirror, staring right back into their eyes, understanding that this was a chance to stop those hideous lies. Unhappiness is merely an illusion of misery based on brainwash and a misconception of true reality. From now on, let's build bridges between our souls and hearts so we together can rejoice when the final change comes to its start. Wake up, wake up, we gotta wake up. Wake up, wake up, we gotta wake up now. Turning prison into paradise may seem too much to achieve. But believe me, it only takes one strong spirit to be free. The true power of a pyramid is never ever at the top. Instead, it's we the people that can make this global game stop. Did you get it? Wake up. 
wake up. We got to wake up now. That was beautiful. I believe this is what is going on. And I believe that uh, the, the time of change is here, that there's an incredible awakening going on. And when you look at the actions of these dark forces that are carrying out these operations, it's, it's, the, it's like uh, the mind of criminals that are panicking. They're speeding up these operations in an incredible amount. They're doing a, such a sloppy job. Uh, they're pushing all these censorship on YouTube and Google and Amazon, just trying to shut us up because they know that soon we come to a point, a, a tipping point where it's too late for them because it's just like in the Wizard of Oz, we pull the curtain and what is behind it is there's this massive, big, powerful monster that is controlling us. No, there's a tiny little old man with a microphone and a massive, big, uh, uh, amplifier that is the new world order very weak very few and only through manipulation and media and propaganda psyops black ops deceit mass murder can they control us i say game over give it up give you know stop bullying us give us back our life get a life yourself and let it let it be over and if it's okay with you, I know I'm rambling on. I would very much like to end with a prayer. Yeah, for sure. Go ahead. I'm not religious, but I am a spiritual being. And so here goes. May the entire universe be filled with peace and joy, love and light. May everyone, and especially ones who hurt us, be filled with peace and joy, love and light. May the light of truth overcome all darkness. So victory to that light. Uh, amazing. I definitely um, love that. Sending some good vibrations, some good energy out there. All I, I had, like I said, I had a great time with you today. Um, there's so much more, <laughs> you know, there's just so much more we could talk about, but uh, hopefully we could do, do it again in the future and get into some other things, perhaps Princess Diana and some other topics. Anything you want, anytime you want. If I can, I'll do it. Anytime, anywhere I'm needed, if you can just get me there, count on me. I'll be there, front line, wherever it is. If it's for the better, uh, betterment of the world and if I can make a difference, I will do my absolute utmost. Oh, wow. You, you know, you got to be one of the hardest working guys in the business if you, if you want to call this that a business. <laughs> well, it is hard work, I can tell you that. But And I am working very hard i've been doing that for half my life for these things but uh, it pe some people say how can you how can you you know dig around in all of these it's such dark and horrific stuff but i tell you the people i meet are incredible individuals most of them people brave people honest pe decent people that have made a stand who are willing to some of them willing to die for what is true and right absolute stunning individuals and so i feel totally blessed i'm very very proud and and happy to walk this way amazing all, all right all uh thank you so much uh definitely want to talk to you again but until then uh you have a really great rest of your day rest of your night whatever time it is over there thank you so much and i will talk to you again my friend perfect you take care Amazing, amazing, amazing. Wow.
Wow. <laughs> what do I even say after that? I have a lot to say, but right at this moment, I do need to jump outside for a little break. And I'm going to come back ready to rage on this microphone once again, sending these waves out into the great void out there. Hopefully it's reaching a lot of young souls and, and young and old souls and people that are young at heart and those that see a better future out there. But I'll talk talk about that in a second. I really got to go pee in the bushes. I know that I've, I'm not supposed to say that. I know Connie Willis told me not to talk about going to pee, but I still do it almost every episode. <laughs> All right, you guys. Raising consciousness and awakening mankind. This is End of Days Radio. From the broken ruins of Babylon. This is End of Days Radio. We are back from the break. I am Daniel, your captain of this black ship. This black ship, which is quietly sliding and gliding into the void. I am so happy to be on air again. I don't know why, but every time I do this show, I love it more and more. And the more natural it feels, the more it feels like it's part of me and I am part of it. It's been so many years of doing this so many years and the evolution of this show and the evolution of being on air has been such an amazing journey. It's given a lot of fulfillment in my life. I feel like I've really done something that I was meant to do that I'm doing now and I'm continuing to do. And that is a great feeling. It can really make you feel right as rain. And if you did not catch last night's show, please do go back and listen to that. I like to always say that if I'm releasing two episodes at once because, you know, sometimes people, they only have so much time and they might kind of gloss over one of them. Please listen to both because these are both amazing interviews, great shows. And I did do them back to back. I did a show last night. I'm doing a show now, doing quite a bit of work on this show. So I hope you guys out there 
are a little bit more satisfied. <laughs> all of you listeners, fans, whatever out there that want more and more end of days radio and you just can't get enough and you just lap it up and you want more and more. You tell me all the time, if I go off air for too long, I start hearing it and I know the cravings you guys have out there and I'm trying my hardest to satisfy that. I know that there's an incredible hunger for this type of programming in general. People love paranormal radio. They love conspiracies. They love the mystery, the intrigue. It's very fascinating. The mystery is always fascinating. There are books that don't even have anything paranormal or supernatural in them, and they're bestsellers just because they present some kind of mystery. They keep you intrigued. They keep you wondering what the hell is going on. And I really want to know what the hell is going on. It seems like our world is full of intrigue and mystery. There's the positive and the negative, I suppose. For every terrible thing going on in the world, there's something amazing happening somewhere. I hope. <laughs> I know that a lot of species are being wiped out and a lot of trees are being cut down. And this goes on and it's not even anything that they could dream of covering up because we can see it right before our eyes. The wildlife populations are pushed back more and more, and more and more this planet does indeed become the barren wasteland that it's destined to become in these end times. And I say the end because, well, let's just face it, eventually we're going to blow ourselves up. We're really going to do it. Damn you. You blew it all up. Can't help but think about that ending to the Planet of the Apes. Cornelius, quite a great movie, I have to admit. You know, the first time I seen the movie Blade Runner, it was at this little movie theater in Tacoma, Washington. I think it was called the Blue Mouse Theater, for those of you that are familiar with the area. And they were showing Planet of the Apes and Blade Runner back to back. Two of the most greatest iconic sci-fi movies of our time. And both movies that have a lot to say about reality, in my opinion at least. Ole, he did have a cold. So I didn't want to keep him too long. I'm sure that I could have easily gotten another three hours out of him. But he was sick. That's why he wasn't able to meet the first date that we arranged which is totally fine. And towards the end there, he was really coughing up a storm. I thought he was losing his voice. So rather than getting into the Princess Diana assassinations and all the other notes that I took, I decided it'd probably be best if we uh, gave him a little break and just contacted him in the future. And hopefully we can set up another interview. That was one of the best interviews that I've heard and done. <laughs> I do listen while I'm sitting there. You know what's really strange? I got, I, I've been getting these weird offers, and maybe some of you out there have been getting them too. But I got an email that was claiming to be from the Illuminati, and they sent me an email and they offered me $1 million if I was to call this certain number or respond to this email. Suppose it said that it was going to give me riches and fame and power and all kinds of stuff, and it said it was from the Illuminati. I'm hoping that's just some w new weird type of spam, like some kind of new type of phishing, like somehow they're trying to get your credit card information or something, because that's really disturbing. Now I'm getting offers. And then just, just the other day, somebody sent me one on Twitter, 
I got an offer from the Illuminati on Twitter. Pretty creepy, I have to admit. Makes me feel a little bit special, I guess. This message, it says, Join the great Illuminati Supreme Circle of wealth and fame. Dot, dot, dot. We grant all your heart desire. Dot, dot. We give monthly income called benefits to less privileges. Dot, dot. We grant all your needs. Message me up or... Dot. Add up on WhatsApp via... Then there's a phone number, and it says call the phone number again. So what is that? Is that just somebody that's talking a big game? And I have to admit the grammar there doesn't seem to be (laughs) quite up to snuff. But is that part of the way of coming at you kind of like, is it or isn't it? Right? They are masters of deception after all. So who knows? Every so often you hear those commercials come on that invite you to join the Freemasons. (laughs) I guess they recruit every so often. Otherwise, you got to know somebody. But while they're recruiting, that's your time to join if that's something that you're interested in. If you would like to join a fraternity of men. Personally, I'd rather join a fraternity of men and women, but to each of their own. (laughs) I'm sure... That if you're a Freemason, you get access to all kinds of awesome things. So maybe perhaps it is worth uh, looking into. Yeah, I got an offer from the Illuminati. This is the second one. It's so weird because I guess for most people, they might write it off as just some spam. But me, I'm like, oh, oh, they're finally doing it. They're contacting me. (laughs) Oh man, there's so much to talk about. Ugh. Um, I wanted to talk about Hillary. She says that husbands pressured wives into voting for Trump. That is just the most awful thing to say for somebody that claims to be some sort of feminist leader, in my opinion. She's basically calling women out there stupid and weak and they just submit to their husbands to me, that's really approaching from the wrong angle. I think she has no idea what feminism is or really understands it at all. She's just trying to aim her words at a particular demographic. And she seems to keep keep going with this idea that um, Trump is this awful devil and blah, blah, blah. I think it makes her look less intelligent when she talks that way. It makes her look very bitter. It makes her words seem very emotional. And what a sore loser. Still throwing shade at this point. Come on. I don't know who's worse. Hillary herself or her supporters that just can't let it go. Please, people. Regardless of who wins and who becomes president, just accept the situation. <laughs> Please. Enough with your... Oh, uh, like, like, have you guys heard Jimmy Kimmel lately? What's wrong with him? I used to like him. Until he became Mr. Political Man. Come on, Jimmy. We want you to be funny. We don't want to hear you give us your freaking liberal opinion all the time. You know what I'm saying? I like Jimmy Kimmel. Like, when he would go on the Howard Stern show, I would always love that. And he's pretty good friends with Howard. And I think that's pretty cool. I mean, they're both pretty famous and funny people. But some of these liberal politics, my God. Like... 
him going on air and saying, oh, you're a piece of shit if you don't cry every day about this or that false flag shooting. And then people that are saying things, they're getting kicked off of social media and stuff like that. My God. You know, I hope I don't jinx myself, but you got to think that this is going to start happening. It's going to get worse and worse. And will there be a day when end of days radio isn't able to take part of some of these major social media outlets? It's very possible. And part of that reason is I'm not really willing to compromise. As many of you know, I'm a big proponent of free speech. I don't believe in censorship or I at least believe that it's garbage. So I will never back down. I will never agree to tempering my words on air. I won't agree to censoring. I won't agree to not using bad language. Hey, I don't use much bad language in general, but when it comes up, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to say whatever's on my mind. And if my guests want to swear up a storm, they're more than welcome to. They can say whatever horrible, awful, disgusting thing that they want. I mean, if somebody comes on here and talks about how they like to go after kids or something, of course I'm going to call them a disgusting fuck and shut them down. But anything outside of that, uh, murdering people or anything like that, extreme racism, I don't think anybody wants to hear that, or racism at all, really. So there's things that I don't want to hear and things that I'm not going to put up with, but hey, it's pretty open. It's pretty open. There's not a whole lot that you can't say on this program, and I hope people out there realize that. I hope that they realize that this is one of the only completely uncensored programs out there in general. And these types of programs, they tend to come under fire, and they tend to... I mean, there's a good side of it that controversy can create interest, but more and more it is harder to push that envelope, and more and more these types of discussions are getting shut down. It's only inevitable that they would at first introduce the internet as this wild west where anything's possible, and then it would eventually become a a weapon to control all of us. Eventually, the internet will evolve into Skynet. (laughs) I do love my iPhone, however. It's such a big part of my life. If that means that I'm microchipped, then it's too late for me. I've already been drawn into the belly of the beast. I don't know how to go back now. I mean... (laughs) Pretty much everything's at your fingertips. You know, the late one of the latest things I've been doing, like, as a lot of you know, I'm a big fan of music. I listen to music. I try to create my own. <laughs> um, you know, there's no rules to art. It can be anything. You don't have to be a super skilled player or a, a super skilled composer to create some awesome music. So it's something I love to do when I have the time. And I'm a busy guy. But... Lately, I've been getting on this uh, Amazon app, and I didn't even realize it, but when I go in there, I can actually listen to any CD I've bought off of Amazon. And I used to, I went through a period where I was collecting CDs. So I went in there, and all of a sudden, I realized I had access to tons and tons of music on my phone, and I can pretty much listen to my collection anywhere. Hey, that's not too shabby. As many of you know, I'm a huge fan of bands like Black Sabbath. I like heavy metal. I don't like really loud wall of noise in your face, grunting, super, super heavy stuff where it's just a wall of loud noise. I don't really care that much for that kind. I like the more sharper vocals, the singers that can actually sing 
on top of a slower type of riffing like the black sabbath sound that's the perfect type of music for me like that's got to be the best band of all time period it's not too fast or in your face it doesn't make you feel agitated but it's still heavy and aggressive and fierce i think that's the perfect point where it's really heavy so you can feel that aggression but it also has that trippy sort of dreamy scape sort of sound to it so i'm a big fan of a genre known as doom metal or it's also intertwined with another genre called stoner rock and there's quite a few bands that are listed in that category and some that are kind of on one or the other end of the spectrum like Queens of the Stone Age would probably be a good example of stoner rock, while Electric Wizard would be a great example of the doom metal type of sound. But they both have those elements within their music. I know it's probably annoying the piss out of some people out there, me going into this like obscure music genre, snobby sounding shit. <laughs> But I just really love this type of music. I, I can't get enough of it. I actually like go on YouTube and I look for the latest stuff and what's hot and what people are talking about. And I was thinking about how, you know, a lot of people say the music industry is dead. Nobody buys music anymore now that there's no CDs or records anymore or anything like that. But when I actually see the sheer amount of stuff coming out in each genre, it seems to me like there's a million times more music being created and released now that any garage band can go on social media. And if it's good, people will listen and they'll actually buy it if you offer it for a reasonable price. I, I've noticed there's this other cool site. It's called Bandcamp and there's all these cool metal bands on there. And if you just throw them like seven bucks, that's enough to pay for a digital download. Some of them are cheaper. They're like five bucks. I mean, that's not a lot of money and you know, you're supporting the band. There's a lot of people that would just as soon as do that as not have to worry about pirating or file sharing or anything like that. It's just so cheap. You don't care. You just want them to get what little money that it is. So I think that music in the music industry is surprisingly in a really good place right now. And that's just my personal opinion from, um, you know, having observing and noticing things. But anyways, enough of this. <laughs> um, who out there has seen the new Tanya Harding movie? Raise your hands. This is a radio show. I can't see you. You can't see me, but raise your hands anyway. It was pretty good. I have to admit, I hated it at first, but I think it was because I hate her. I was a kid when all this stuff happened with Nancy Kerrigan. I remember her on the ground screaming, going, why, why, why? And then Tanya Harding was just like the biggest villain. She was the hill back then. Before I, I think she was before OJ, wasn't she? So she was like the media's big hill back then, Tanya Harding. Everybody hates her. And they had the big showdown at the Olympics. Tanya Harding did horrible and Nancy Kerrigan did. I think she got the silver. Yeah, she got the silver medal. She didn't win the whole thing. A lot of people wanted her to win the whole thing. Some Russian girl won the whole thing. But Tanya Harding was a huge hill. And she went on to actually 
make money and create some success out of what happened. She went over and started doing the celebrity boxing in Japan. I think she did it over here. And she's got to be making money off of this movie. I heard something about her deal where um, she wasn't going to get anything unless it made a certain amount. And it seems like it's creating a big buzz. So I'm just guessing that it's probably making a certain amount. And that woman who is obviously one of the biggest pieces of crap that anybody can remember, she's probably doing pretty well off of it at this point. That's my theory. If I was her, I would hide it, of course. <laughs> but just watching that movie, uh, seeing that trashy upbringing that she went through and the abusive mother. <laughs> I don't want to spoil the movie, but there's a part where she's fighting with her mother and they're in an argument and she throws a knife at her and it just sticks in her arm. <laughs> And another part where she's like a kid and her horrible piece of shit smoker mom just like out of nowhere just like kicks her high chair. Just like punts her off screen. It was crazy. Like I think they're copying that old movie Mommy Dearest. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you talking about the Tanya Harding movie? I remember it. It happened when I was a kid. It's funny because she was wearing the same outfits as she was when she was doing the ice skating. That's funny to me. And the fact that they made the ice skating look so majestic and beautiful and artistic. And they have this actress playing her that is one of like the most popular actresses that Margot Robbie from Suicide Squad. You know, just like one of the hottest, best looking most popular actresses. <clears throat> it seems a little messed up, right? Like, why is there this movie with this popular actress making Tanya Harding look like a victim and she's going to profit off of it? Uh, it, I think somebody, somebody was talking about how Nancy Kerrigan was the actual victim. And, oh, that was uh, Piers Morgan. She went on his show and he was asking her that and, she kind of got mad or left the show. I didn't actually see it, but I heard something like that went on. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I do have to recommend that movie. I know that seems horrible, but it was good. What can I say? It was good. I enjoyed watching it. If you were alive at that time, you younger people, you're just going to be like, what the hell? <laughs> Come on, dad. You'll talk about something that happened in the past 20 years. <laughs> Ugh. Okay, enough of that. Uh, where should we go next? Oh, somebody wrote in and they asked me if I carry a firearm. Uh, my answer is no. And even if I did have one, I would not tell you. <laughs> um, but I don't. I don't carry a firearm with me because. I feel like somebody like me, that would be a bad thing because if Big Brother did want to harass me or hold me against my will, detain me like they do to my buddy Adam Kakesh, if they were to do that to me, I feel like if I had a weapon on me, that would create odds that would lend to creating a negative scenario. Like somehow 
I would get set up <laughs> so that I would have to pull out my weapon to defend myself. And that's exactly when they'd throw the cuffs on me, something like that. Or they'd have some crazy attacker, like try to rape me. So I have to shoot them or something <laughs> so they could arrest me for murder. Right. <laughs> all It's all going to be a big frame job. So, um, look, I'm just one man. If they really want to take me out, there's nothing I can do about it. There's absolutely nothing. I'm just counting on the fact that I'm, a little bit in the public eye and I'm counting on the fact that there's a bunch of other people out there doing the same damn thing but even longer than I have. So I imagine if they're going to go after anybody, they would probably go after them first. I don't really think they give much of a crap about us radio show hosts. I think that they're mostly concerned about people escaping from underground bases that know what's going on under there. Right. Even if it sounds ludicrous, if they come and tell the public, that the lizards are eating them underground, then people are going to freak out. Cause there's always going to be some people that believe it. You know, the people that are shamanistic and have open minds, they're going to be like, yeah, no shit. I've known that forever. <laughs> I've known about the reptilians and I've known about the vampires. And I even go out and I fight them at night. I take my cross and my, holy water in my stakes and I wait them out in the cemetery. <laughs> Can you imagine if we did that for like fans of the show? Like we all meet up somewhere and we bring backpacks and we've got like holy water and stakes and we go to the cemetery at night to face the darkness. <laughs> and we end up like accidentally shooting each other with crossbows. <laughs> Yikes. Let's not do that. I wouldn't mind going to some UFO sightings or Bigfoot hunts. I was thinking about the other day. I was like, why would anybody go into the woods and try to hunt Sasquatch? And what do you do if you actually did find him? Do you try to chop off one of his arms with a machete <laughs> when he comes at you? <laughs> Come at me, Sasquatch. What do you even do? Like, what are you going to do? You, you, If you were really going to go look for him and really thought he was there... You would have some kind of giant net or something, right? Because isn't Bigfoot supposed to be like eight foot tall? He could literally just swat you away and break your neck. And there's nothing you can do about it. Unless you have a huge gun that has big slugs in it and is double barreled. And you could just aim it right at his genitalia. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yes. No, 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 no. Don't do that. It's funny because, uh, one guest came on before and he was organizing a Bigfoot hunt and there were people in that group that wanted to kill Bigfoot. And there was just this big outcry. There were so many people that were angry about that. They were just all up in arms. People were getting mad at me for even having him on the program. And I'm thinking to myself, like, whoa, I mean, have we really even confirmed that Bigfoot is real? <laughs> We're worried about him getting killed. Shouldn't we be more worried about the dolphins and the orcas and the giant squid or the little squid or whoever's dying from all the pollution out there? Isn't that, like, the number one concern rather than some people killing an animal that's pretty much already extinct? If we did find one... We would have to find a female, right? Because we would need to put them in a zoo and mate them and restore the population. Would that be a bad idea? Do we want those things around? Do we want there to be 
big hairy beasts <laughs> walking through the woods and the parks while our kids are playing in the playground. Oh, children, don't mind that. That's part of the wildlife, that giant eight-foot-tall ape holding the rock aimed at your head. <laughs> don't complain. Do we really want to bring those things back? Maybe we should just, if somebody wants to shoot one, sure, just shoot it and, oh my god, we have proof finally, right? I didn't think that it would be terrible that anybody would talk about anything like that. I I suppose, though, that it would be a great loss if we lost the last remaining Bigfoot. Who knows, we might be able to teach it sign language, or maybe we wouldn't even need to. Maybe he can talk. For all we know, Bigfoot's got a bigger brain than we do. And that's not all he has bigger than we do, if you know what I'm saying. But no, I don't carry any sort of firearm. Not to protect myself from Bigfoot, not to protect myself from the Illuminati or drones or anything like that. I know some people are weaponizing themselves in anticipation of drone attacks, like they're learning techniques to take down drones. You might have to someday. If you're a lady and you're trying to take a shower and there's a drone outside your window, maybe it would be good if you had some sort of special gun that could just obliterate that thing out of the air. All right, enough, enough, enough. So there was the big thing about the package bomber, the guy that was rigging explosives... It seems like it's already died off in the news because there's always so much going on, especially lately. But that was scary when it was going on. I think I took this note down to talk about it when it was still going on before they caught the guy. And I'm glad that they caught that guy because if they hadn't so soon, it would have really gotten bad. Like, that guy was creating more fear, in my opinion, than any of the shooters. Because, for one thing, that guy was just rigging up explosives in people's homes, like in front of them, like you're, you walk onto your porch and your whole porch blows up. I mean, that's scarier to me than just some crazy guy with a gun. At least if it's a crazy guy with a gun, somebody might jump on him or, but the idea that somebody's that meticulous and intelligent about it and setting up explosives, I mean, that's scarier. Of course, explosives are infinitely more scary than guns. And that's something I think we all need to realize is that there are so many ways to build explosives, and that is truly scary. If anything, maybe we should put some regulations on some of these household chemicals. Is it even possible to outlaw explosives, gasoline? Uh, probably not. There's guides out there online that shows you how to take apart a tank with a with some gasoline i mean not take it apart but stop it like if there's a tank coming through your neighborhood you could dump fuel from your little balcony onto the top of it and like throw a malt of cocktail on top and it's gonna like burn and then the people inside will have to jump out because it's getting too hot really clever way of stopping them then you can also build little barricades that give them trouble in their tracks you can do things like that you can't expect to just stop one with a gun or something but there's ways you could make them immobile and useless there's always some way that a smaller opponent can defeat a larger more powerful opponent it's happened so many times throughout history like with the shock of zulus 
there's so many examples like that. 300, that movie, pretty badass. Spartacus, Last of the Mohicans, there's only like two of those guys. Sometimes when you're backed into a corner, don't don't always bet on Goliath. Sometimes you have to bet on David. Sometimes you got to bet on the underdog. And I hate to break it to you people, but we are the underdog. And we're not just the underdog, but we're like the way underdog. That's how bad it is. Looks like the ongoing saga of Corey Feldman continues to continue. Let's see here. I do have a link here. Let's see here. Let me see if I can't pull this up. I know you guys... Let's see. Sorry, I'm trying to get it off my iPad. Let's see. Uh, you know what? Forget it. I'm not even going to pull up that article. This is taking too long. <laughs> you ever, you're pressing your iPad screen and it's just like not doing what you want. It's like, oh, I'm not going to listen to you today. But apparently Corey Feldman, he's ra- rallying support and raising money for child abuse victims, which I think is pretty cool. I know he was making some rather harsh accusations towards Charlie Shane. I think what it was was his friend Corey Haim was involved sexually with Charlie Shane. And last I heard, Charlie Shane has he stopped uh, denying that it happened or he's kind of slipped away. He's not really defending himself or saying anything. I wouldn't have believed it before until that video of him blowing a dude came out. <laughs> I mean, once you see that, it's like, oh, okay, what are you up to? (laughs) Everything? (laughs) Yeah, that's some disturbing stuff. There was a time when we thought he was cool. When all that winning stuff was going on. Winning. Winning. There was a time when we were like, wow, Charlie Sheen's the man. He's got balls. But now we know he licks balls. (laughs) He kind of lost some of his cool, right? What he should have done, he should have been like, become like the gay spokesperson. Instead of acting ashamed about it, <laughs> that would have that would have helped him, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, Charlie Sheen, I remember during Halloween that year, people were actually walking around wearing Charlie Sheen masks, like that was a Halloween costume. That's how popular the whole thing became. And then once people realized that he was a total absolute pervert they kind of backed off when it was him with the two porn stars at the same time everybody was like wow he's cool (laughs) right what a barbarian two at once and they're porn stars wow oh so disgusting um this letter comes from lucky lou he says sup daniel you have a great show no doubt about that from what i can tell you are single how could you be single at your age? Do you smell bad? Perhaps question mark. Ouch. Lucky Lou. That's not nice. Um, why am I single? I don't know. It, maybe it might have something to do with believing in reptilians. <laughs> There's a possibility. I mean, I don't find myself to be an unattractive person in any way. Really? I, I tend to do very good with women, but I suppose when they learn what I'm into, it could kind of be a little bit of a put off. And I totally get that. And I'm willing to accept that. But I also know that at some point I'm probably going to hook up with somebody that's actually crazy as I am. 
I mean, it's only inevitable. It, I've seen hints of it already, so I know it's going to happen at some point. So I'm not really worried about it. I, I think that one of the worst things you can do is just go from one relationship to the next and be so codependent on needing to have somebody there. I really think there's something to be said. And this doesn't work for everybody. I get that. Everybody's different. But t- for being strong and independent on your own and having that strong frame and that confidence of knowing that you are okay on your own and you can be happy on your own, just delving into your work, into what matters for you. And I think what you find is that is a quicker way to uh, hook up with a person that's right for you rather than put yourself into situations where you're, uh, you know, forced to meet other people in a nightclub situation or something like that. I, I think you're better off just being yourself. So no, I don't smell bad. Mr. Liu. And how would you even know if I was single anyways? Like who, who goes around talking about their significant other on a paranormal radio show? And if I do have anything going on, I'm not going to announce it on this show. I don't need to do that sort of stuff. I have plenty of interesting things to talk about on this show. I don't have to air any dirty laundry of that nature. Then again... Sometimes things like that can be interesting. I'll tell you what. I'll think about it. <laughs> um, also, let's see. Where should I go first? <laughs> I think a lot of people worry out there. There's a lot to worry about. Am I going to get caught evading my taxes <laughs> Am I going to piss off my neighbors when I do this or that? Am I going to lose my job? Will this piss off my boss? Will this piss off my wife? Will this piss off my husband? Quit worrying so much. It's stupid to worry like that. If you are really focused on doing the right thing, and you know that you will do the right thing in any situation, then why would you worry so much about the outcome? Are you saying you're not going to do the right thing if it benefits you? No, just do the right thing, know that you're going to do the right thing, and don't worry about what's going to happen to you. Everything happens for a reason. I think there's this whole polarity there, this whole dynamic of I screw everything up versus everything happens for a reason. And the truth has to be in the middle somewhere, right? Obviously, we have some freedoms and control over our fates, But we can't do absolute anything. We can't make ourselves taller or make ourselves into the other sex. Well, I guess you can do that now. (laughs) They even have special bathrooms. But there, there are limits, right? I mean, perhaps it's good to see reality as completely limitless. I can see an argument for that. But really, the truth tends to be somewhere in the middle, right? Pretty much always. So... I think by focusing on the right things, you can certainly create a more positive outcome for yourself. But you can oftentimes be tricked into focusing on negative things or the wrong things. And that's one of the things that these beings do, these demonic sort of reptilian creatures. They try to keep us focused on negative things so we create negative outcomes for ourselves And then once we get the rug pulled out from underneath our feet, 
somehow they're able to process the energy that's created from our anguish. Somehow it keeps them dominant and in control. I'm not going to pretend like I totally know how it works, but you got to watch out for stuff like that. You can create your own reality, but beware, there are things out there, there are forces that do not wish for you to do so. They want to get in your way. They don't want you to be happy. They want that only for themselves. I think that's kind of the thing with these elites. They they want it all to themselves, right? Oh, by the way, I know it's a weird time, but that call-in number is 209-348-9810, or you can add Ninja Shoe 777 on Skype. Once again, that's 209-348-9810. Please try to make sure I am live when you call that number, because you could be calling me in the middle of the night, <laughs> which is fine, but at least leave me a message and say something funny or interesting or leave a comment about the show. Then I could play it. That'd be awesome. This is awesome. And another thing, there's nothing to see in Aberdeen, Washington. You know what I'm talking about? The place where Kurt Cobain is from? There is an interesting little bridge there, the bridge where I think he slept under, Kurt Cobain, and there's a little monument there and a nice little park area. And I have to admit that part of it is cool, but if you think you're going to go up there and you're going to see all this cool stuff, that's not going to happen. You're basically driving for hours and hours so you can visit the most run-down, ghetto, broken-down neighborhood in the whole state. There's some beautiful scenery out there, don't get me wrong. Like, if you're into beautiful landscapes and wilderness and things of that nature, you're probably going to enjoy the drive. But don't think that you're going to go on some awesome tour or really see much or have a great time or feel more connected to Nirvana the band or anything like that. I mean, you might you might drive through and think, wow, this place is shitty. I could see why somebody would be depressed coming from here. You might have thoughts like that. But... It's a long drive, and there's just not very much to see. I don't recommend going out there for sightseeing. Unless you're really into the wilderness, if you want to go out there and camp or hunt or fish or something like that, or just see the scenery, it's probably not not the best destination. I see no reason at all to go out there. Um, There's places like that in Washington. And if you enjoy driving around and visiting places out there, If you're that type of person, I totally get that. I kind of am that type of person. But as far as a cool rock hall of fame travel destination where you're going to see cool stuff, um, for that to happen, you'd probably have to have some kind of tour guide or somebody to take you around and tell you little anecdotes and show you where everything happened. That might be interesting. I've thought about that. Like, what what would happen if I... And don't steal my idea, anybody. What would happen if I started a tour of the area? Like, a musical rock and roll Hall of Fame tour with Daniel. Like, we'll go visit Jimi Hendrix's grave. All the places where Kurt Cobain lived. Anything music-related in Seattle, we could just kind of go on a bus and take a look at stuff. Or would it be better to do a paranormal tour? I think somebody's already doing that. I was going to go on that, but I never got around to it. It's hard. It's hard going to all these conventions and little thises or thats. I know those places are great to network at and, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff to see, but I'm 
typically shoved inside my little studio here doing this show. I'd rather do this than go out there and UFO watch or anything like that. I know they're out there. I don't need any more proof. In fact, when I see more of them, it just freaks me out because I'm like, oh, God, what are they doing here showing themselves to me? I mean, it hasn't happened in the last couple of years that I can think of, but, you know, every so often I do see a UFO. And it's not, oh, it's an airplane that I thought was one. Or you were seeing something from a certain angle. The clouds were blurry that night. It wasn't that clear. It's swamp gas. No, it's not swamp gas. You you have swamp gas. That's why your lies smell like shit, because you have swamp gas and you're coming out of your ass. That's the problem. Yeah, you, you thought you saw something. This must have been some kind of cognitive dissonance. <laughs> you thought that you saw something. I believe that you thought that you saw something. Come here, Daniel. I want you to put this watch jacket on and take some of this medicine. <laughs> oh, God. What am I talking about? Um, wow. Have you guys been watching Dragon Ball Super? It has ended finally. For those of you watching the show on the Crunchyroll app or however you watch your anime... I only recently discovered all this not that long ago. But I did watch the final episode as soon as it was released, and it definitely lived up to the hype. I'm not going to give away any spoilers for you anime fans out there, you Dragon Ball Z fans. I'm not going to give away the ending, but I can say at least that it was fantastic. And I will definitely be buying the series on Blu-ray one thing that I thought was really interesting about the entire series was now the characters are becoming so powerful, they're hitting a tier of strength and power that's like equivalent to the gods in that fantasy universe. So they're actually becoming gods. I think that there's something really collective, unconscious, subconscious about that. This whole idea of mortals becoming gods. Like, I'll say that a lot. I'll say, oh, I'm a god, or we're all gods. You know, there's something to be said for realizing that you're more than just this mortal flesh. That there is something about you that is powerful and internal and strong enough that you never really have to worry about anything. There is a part of you like that. And it's not about controlling other people or having power over others or being important or anything like that. It's not about putting you, it's not about putting yourself before others. It's only realizing the divine nature that we all have inside of us and casting aside the illusions, casting aside the veil. And I suppose that type of thinking can be compared to some about some of how these elites feel, but. Um, the, the difference is that the bad guys out there, the elites, they believe that it's all for them. They can't have anything that they don't take from us because they need to have people out there to support them with the financial system and the labor, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they need us to be their cattle. Like we need the chickens and the cattle on the farm. That's why they need us. 
But the difference between my way of thinking and theirs is they put themselves before others, whereas I serve others. I think that that's the biggest difference. Uh, some people in the UFO community use the term service to self and versus service to others. Like there's two types of aliens out there. And now the thing seems to be changing where um, a lot of people don't even believe in aliens anymore and they're really interdimensionals and perhaps space out there isn't even real. Or maybe space is real, but we're just not able to access it. Who knows? I'm more leaning towards that sort of idea. Maybe the Earth is round, but it's just a lot bigger than we think it is. And also there's a barrier around the planet, the the uh, radiation barrier, you know, the one that everybody talks about. Maybe it's worse than we know, or maybe it's actually some sort of physical substance that can't even be passed at all by anything. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe it's all kind of holographic. It's thought. It's some kind of mix of the two. It's it's thought. It's like a dream. And if you... I think somebody said before on this program, if you believe that it's round and you go up into space, it'll be round for you. And if you believe it's flat, it'll be flat because everything's just consciousness. <laughs> I think that's a very trippy idea. I think that... uh that's even more likely than the earth is round and there's some sort of barrier protecting it. Or maybe it's a combination of the both of both of them somehow. But I am pretty sure it's not how they tell us it is. You know, a lot of this NASA stuff is completely fake. It's completely forged, which is sad because like I say a lot, I absolutely love Star Trek. I love Star Wars in that space is still real to me that version of reality. I mean, does it really matter? We can jump into any version of reality, right? That's one thing that I'm realizing is you can believe one thing one day and something different the next. And it's okay. You can let go. You can take it in and explore it and let it go. And you can believe several things at once and you give them all a, a certain percentage chance of being true, but you're open to them still. You don't have to stick with one thing. That's what gets people is, oh, I got to be Muslim. I got to be Hebrew. I got to be this or that. And I got to stick to it. But that's really a herd mentality. That's a follow the rules like cattle approach. Yeah, everybody needs to realize that there's, yeah, other people play into our spirituality, but it's a very interpersonal thing. And everybody has their own thing going on. The more we can stay out of each other's way, the better. And the more fair things can be, the better as well. I mean, I'm not a communist. I don't like communists. Commies. Friggin' commies. <laughs> but I think things could be a lot more fair in this country. I think anybody would agree with that. That there should be a really strong middle class again. I think we can get there. Maybe we'll get there and then everything will go to shit, but I think we can get there. Eventually, the end of days has to play out. Oh, we got to do the mind-blowing moment of the day. Last night, we kind of skipped it. I mean, I did it, but there wasn't any music and I felt bad. So let me grab my harmonica.
Oh, sorry about all that squeaky chair noise. Mind blowing. Moment of the day. Yeah, I got the blues. I got the mind blowing moment blues. Oh, yeah. God, that was terrible. <laughs> I'm off today. I'm off of my musical genius today. I apologize. But today's mind-blowing moment of the day, I'm going to say it was the stuff about Jesse Jackson. That scared me. That sent a, sh- a shiver down my spine. Uh, knowing that he is who he is and he has such a powerful position and he was involved in that whole thing. It's it's bloody shameful, to be quite honest. It's terrible. I don't like that. I think that if he was really involved in that, then he's got to face his maker sooner or later. And I don't want to be there when that happens. So shame on you if this is indeed true, Mr. Jackson. And if you want to come on this program and dispute these allegations, I advise you to do so. This is an open forum and anybody is welcome to answer the call. (laughs) Should we stop there? Should we? Should we stop there? Um, I'm going to say yes, but, um, yes, yes. Let's go ahead and end things. And only because we just did a three hour show last night and it's two and a half hours now. I would like to do a, I would like to do another two hours or something like that, but I got to take a break at some point (laughs) and I'm hoping that five and a half hours of fresh content for you guys will be enough for a little while. As you know, I'm making a very concerted effort to to step things up and do this show much more often. You know, I've got these, these people on my back or whatever they are, these aliens, demons, reptilians, I've got them and they come at me. They come at me, bro. And sometimes I get in this state where it's like I got the world on my shoulders and I can barely function. And I know that it's happening to me because I'm doing this show. And the more I do it, the worse it becomes. And these situations occur that are crazy and I can't even explain them, but it just seems to happen in this way as if I am certainly under the watchful eye of something. And I'm hoping that... I'm being paranoid. I think that if that is the case, that's great because there's nothing to worry about. But I do remain vigilant. I'm not going to stop. That's for sure. I'm going to see this one through. I mean, hey, I'm 35 years old. Given the way I eat, I doubt I have that long to live anyway. (laughs) Maybe I'm about halfway through the whole thing. I think that at this point I'm just going to dig my heels in and continue doing what I'm doing. And they can send me their little spam emails about joining the Illuminati, but I will never sell out. I will never let you guys down. I will never betray you. I will continue to be your hero, your diamond in the rough, the shining light in the darkness, the one uncorruptible soul that cannot be bought by those fucking elites. (laughs) Okay, you guys. Once again, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this show. 
you are indeed the wind beneath my wings and you give me everything that I need to stay at it. And I love putting something out there that you guys love to listen to. And that's enough for me. I don't make any money off of this show. I do it purely because this is what I should be doing. And I have one gift that I can give to the world and this is it. So I'm going to keep giving it until I end up like some of these past heroes that we heard about. I could only pray to be so lucky. (laughs) No, no, no. I don't mean to glorify anything like that, but I really believe in what I'm doing here. And I know a lot of you believe in it too. And Hey, we kind of have a way of masking it all with, with humor. And that's part of how we stay under the radar as well. Um, as manipulative and crafty as some of these forces out there can be, we have our own ways of fighting back and we have our own ways of working our own particular magics, our, our rebel magics against their imperial magics. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. So stay with me. We are the resistance. We will keep fighting back into the night. Fear no evil. This is Daniel, captain of the black ship. We are cruising through the night, about to enter into hyperspace. Scotty primed those engines. As we drift and absorb the light from a thousand dying stars. Good night, everybody. This is the end of days. I'm Daniel, and I am wishing all of you happy days. Please join me for the next show. Oh, I should probably hype it, right? Let's see, pulling up my calendar. Let's see, April. We will be talking to Gary Wayne. Ooh, that's going to be a good one. April 4th at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We will be talking once again about the reptilians. The reptilians. The reptilians. Everybody loves reptilians. <laughs> reptilians.
Nokia. <laughs>